Well, uh, the key stakeholder here is a farmer. And there's no one farmer in this country. And I think policymakers still have not realized that there's an enormous diversity of farmers uh, in the country. And it looks like the consultation processes have not necessarily included farmers in those consultations. The governments in a democracy know the pulse of the people um, better than uh, any expert or, or bureaucrat or, or even Niti Aayog. Hi, I'm Rachita Vora, and you're listening to On the Contrary by India Development Review, or IDR, a show featuring unlikely conversations on topics that affect our future. On this podcast, hear differing perspectives from leaders and experts as they help us make sense of the most pressing issues of our time. IDR is an online journal that publishes cutting-edge ideas, lessons, and insights written by and for the people working on some of India's toughest problems. You can check us out at idronline.org. Your host for the show is Arun Myra, a thought leader and author of several books on everything from listening to people not like us to remaking India. He has the unusual combination of having worked in the private sector, the social sector, as well as the government, where he was a member of India's planning commission. Here's your host, Arun Myra. Thousands of farmers and their families have camped on the three borders of the country's capital city for more than 100 days now, initially through the bitter winter cold and now as summer looms. They have been protesting against the government's three agricultural reform bills, which were passed hurriedly through parliament without following due process. In short, the bills allow farmers to 1. sell directly to private buyers rather than at the notified government markets or mandis. 2. They provide a legal framework for farmers to enter into contracts with companies and produce for them. And 3. They allow businesses to store essential commodities, cereals, pulses, etc. without any limits on how much they can store. These laws are seen as being designed to suit large corporate interests and will leave farmers exposed to private buyers with far more money and influence to manage prices. The farmers say they have not been consulted when these reforms were made. The government says there have been many consultations over the last 20 years and that the protesters do not represent all farmers. The government has also suggested that these farmers have political motivations, but aside from the reforms themselves, people are also generally unhappy with the undemocratic process by which they were made. So, our first episode on this show is about these agricultural reforms and the space that has or hasn't been created for democratic processes to take shape. I'm especially looking forward to chatting with our guests, Kavita Kuruganti and Siraj Hussain. Kavita is a social activist known for her work on sustainable farm livelihoods and farmers' rights. She is the founder-convener of Alliance for Sustainable and Holistic Agriculture, which is a pan-Indian alliance of more than 400 farmer organizations. Siraj is a former secretary of the Department of Agriculture 
and the Department of Food Processing. He has dealt with issues related to Indian agriculture for most of his career. So, my first question to both of you is, why did the process of consultation over the past decades fail? Well, uh, the key stakeholder here is a farmer. And there's no one farmer in this country. And I think policymakers still have not realized that there's an enormous diversity of farmers uh, in the country. And it looks like the consultation processes have not necessarily included farmers in those consultations. Consultations here uh, have also been mainly uh, consultations with experts, the ones who are supposed to uh, know a subject very well, whether they are farmers or not. Uh, and let me confess that I'm not a farmer myself, but I still know that when 41 people walked into the room for talks with the government, not a single person there has been able to say that they have been consulted over the past 15 years. And we are talking about all India farmer leaders of Kisan Sabha and other unions. They've never been consulted. So let me just say that the term consultation has been, I think, allowed to degenerate into co-option of certain people who represent a particular stake and their particular bias is already known to the government and one has seen it again and again. So in the name of consultations, if a stakeholder like the farming community is included at all, it would be those select few unions who are already known to have the same line as the government. And this is not just with this set of reforms. The fact that consultations are not really genuine, deliberative, democratic processes, that it is not really about capturing contrarian views and then trying to see whether there is some weight to what somebody who's completely on the other side is trying to say. That's not the kind of consultations that we witness here. So yes, consultations might have happened on this very subject, but I don't think they actually consulted with those farmer unions which have serious grievances at this point of time who are protesting. Siraj, you have been an insider in a sense, having been the senior most bureaucrat in the agriculture department not too long ago. What can you tell us about how these consultations happen or are meant to happen? Ever since the Vajpayee government circulated the draft APMC model laws, the discussion with the state governments and other stakeholders has been taking place in one form or the other. From time to time, various governments have been writing to the state governments to adopt those model laws. Some of them did partly, some others made very token kind of modifications in their laws. And as late as 2017 and 2018, even this government circulated a revised form of model laws. For listeners who may not know, APMC refers to Agriculture Produce Market Committees that were set up by state governments in India to help farmers sell their produce at fair prices at state-owned markets. 
The APMC Act from 2003 was put in place to make sure that farmers weren't exploited by powerful local or private entities. It is true, as you mentioned, that uh, there was no consensus. And I must say that even uh, the progressive states like uh, Gujarat, Maharashtra and Madhya Pradesh, Gujarat and Maharashtra, as you know, achieved 8 to 10% agricultural growth for about 10 years. So even these progressive states did not adopt the model laws fully, which means that uh, there was something in the model laws circulated by the union government, which was not found acceptable by them. Now, at its core, as I have written several times, agriculture is primarily a state subject. And therefore, the state governments, uh, I think, are in a better position to take a call on how they want to proceed as far as the opening up of uh, competition in the APMC Mundis is concerned. As far as the Essential Commodities Act is concerned, it is in the domain of the center. The center has full powers. So to sum it up, I can say that uh, even though discussions have been going on uh, with the state governments, but the suddenness with which the ordinances were promulgated in June, I think took a lot of people by surprise. And we had just come out of very strict COVID lockdown. So I think it did come as a bit of a surprise. So yes, Siraj, as you explained, the intentions were very good from the government's end. Agriculture does need reform, and they were suggesting ways in which the states could do it. The states weren't entirely in agreement with what the centre was proposing, though. So how do we make a general law more acceptable? If some stakeholders in a democracy feel they are not being heard, how should they make their voices and concerns heard? Actually, that is the point which has been under discussion ever since the ordinances were issued. Because immediately after the issue of ordinances, the agitation started in Punjab. And uh, somehow the union government felt that uh, it is only one state which seems to be agitated about it. And therefore, uh, the union government went ahead with placing the bills before parliament and they were passed by Lok Sabha after a short debate and in the Rajya Sabha it was hurried up. So it is true that um, the seriousness which was being shown as the center of the agitations in Punjab was not really appreciated. I am sure the union government, if they had known that this is the kind of agitation which will result then maybe they would have uh, referred it to the Standing Committee of Ministry of Agriculture. But I do agree that there was a need for more uh, discussion, wider consultation in the Standing Committee and the state governments. Agriculture, basically, how it has evolved, how it functions, how the markets function, how the cultivation is done, the technology which is used, the level of procurement in the states, even the farm size, there is huge variation across states. And therefore, due to the urgency with which this matter was treated, I think that um, eye for differentiation was somehow missed out. So that, I think, is the root of the problem that uh, marketing law for the whole country is what is creating so much of agitation in certain regions. Kavita, as you had mentioned earlier, 
there were lots of farmers who just weren't consulted. They had to protest and say that, look, we haven't been included. You should have included us. A, just for the sake of democracy. I mean, we should be consulted. And B, for the sake of getting the right solution. And so they had to make their voices heard. How can they do this without them being told, oh, you're obstructionist, you're not cooperating? How should you protest in a democracy when you have not been heard? Uh, I think that we need systemic answers uh, to issues that crop up like this. In lawmaking, we should ensure that we don't have any law that's tabled in the parliament without the draft bill first being put out for consultation. And, you know, this is something that uh, several citizen groups have been asking for the longest time, that we need better lawmaking processes. You know, no movement comes up to this scale of intensity without first initiating small-scale protests and some memoranda being given to the district collector initially and so on. And I think there's a lesson therein for the government. If the government wants to listen to such lessons, this government doesn't seem to be interested in it, to take those small-scale protests seriously before they snowball into large protests of the kinds that we are uh, witnessing today. This is not something that had happened overnight. When farmers began raising their objections, they did so starting from the month of July. And we are personally aware of the fact that both the Punjab farmers as well as down south in Tamil Nadu, literally tens of thousands of memoranda were submitted to the government through district collectors in the month of July and August itself. And we do need, you know, governments to take some of these things seriously at that stage itself. In my role across the private, social and government sectors, what I have learned is that it is extremely important for the person who is taking the views of others to listen well and listen deeply. And not just, you know, we got your petition or you were invited to a meeting and you said something. People feel they are not really being listened to properly, that they are not being taken seriously. Yes, there have been many consultations. The number of petitions that the government says they have received and considered is large. But in your experience recently, particularly since you have been going into face-to-face -face consultations with policymakers, are they really listening? I would say that there's listening and listening and listening. In the talks that happen with the government, in the first consultation itself, it's the farmer unions which insisted that we want everything video recorded because pretty often we find that uh, the government has a way of minuting meetings which suits it. So we do have video testimonies to the fact that there is listening that is happening. But I would say that the sort of listening that happens is essentially to build up counter arguments for the next round of talks rather than to actually concede to certain valid point that a particular side has and therefore take it on board and start addressing it. And when a government decides that it won't do something, no amount of cordial listening will help. I think the kind of listening that you are talking about 
is about willingness to allow citizens to shape policies and not an attitude that says that I know best here because I have some consultants or experts telling me what needs to be done. And that kind of listening, I think, comes from an acceptance of certain worldviews, certain principles about how the world runs. Let's say uh, in the context of farmer uh, protests, I think unless the government understands that there's a great deal of diversity of farmers, of production systems, as well as markets, agricultural markets in this country, there's no real listening that is possible, for instance. So do you have the acceptance of a certain reality to begin with for you to be enabled to listen? I think these are things that won't change easily enough uh, by just holding consultations. This is about a true acceptance of how policymaking can become richer and can become deeper if you have the wisdom to bring many brains together, many perspectives together, many worldviews together, many evidences together. And I don't think that is part of India's policy making, and we are light years away from it. So there is one special problem here, that in a matter which is so complex, there are many different things that have to be considered. You cannot try and solve such a complex problem with some big, bold reform, one big, bold law. So it's a process of reform. It's not the reform per se. And policymakers seem to have missed this entirely when coming up with the reforms. So, Siraj, let me ask you, what do we do here? How do we go forward? I wish I knew the answer, uh, but I do realize that um, the governments in a democracy know the pulse of the people better than uh, any expert or a bureaucrat or, or even Niti Aayog. So, uh, I'm sure that um, the party in power would be hearing the views and based on that, I think they made this offer to keep the laws in abeyance for a year or a year and a half, which was an extraordinary offer and somehow it was not accepted. So I think the government also realizes that uh, a lot of tweaking is required based on the specific uh, situation of a state Every state is experimenting on how to deliver a fair price to farmers. Dr. Mera, as you know, the bottom line is that the farmers do deserve stability of prices and a remunerative price. Now, whatever be the mechanism, that can be discussed, but no expert, nobody, no think tank can argue that farmers should be left entirely to the market forces. And only the market forces should determine the price which farmers will receive. And now, if this point is accepted, then I think there may be a way forward if the center realizes this point that there is a need to find a mechanism to deliver a remunerative price to farmers, then I think there may be a meeting ground. At this point, we'll take a small break and we'll hear more from our guests on the other side. Yeah. 
Every day in a small village nestled in a hilly corner of the northern state of Uttarakhand, a group of women sit together and sing songs of courage, ambition and resistance. They are members of Gauli Mahila Sangathan, a village collective set up by the women of Gauli. They follow this ritual before every daily meeting. Since 1995, they have successfully led a resistance movement against alcoholism in their area. Ananta Jain, a student of English literature, met them as a part of a rural research program at St Stephen's College in Delhi. She wrote about her experience on Ground Up, a feature section on IDR. Ground Up features anecdotal multimedia stories that provide a window into how things operate close to the grassroots within communities amidst frontline workers and even inside government offices. Their stories told by the people closest to the action. If you'd like to read more stories like this, check out Ground Up on idronline.org. You can also reach us with stories of your own at groundup@idronline.org. And now back to the show. So Kavita, assuming that the government says okay, let's restart this process. What are the first two or three steps you think that should be taken? I think repealing the laws and saying that this is a victory for democracy and not victory for the farmers or a defeat for the government is the first step to be done. and once that is done if uh, the confidence of farmers increases and if the trust deficit narrows down i think there is a possibility of running processes which will actually uh, allow multiple views to be considered and multiple evidences to be considered like i keep saying and i think there is very rich experience on the ground especially with state governments which shows that improvements can be made in numerous other ways than the one size fits all approach of the central government that it has adopted with these laws i'll give you just a couple of examples for this the procurement system for instance need not be the kind of artia based system that punjab had adopted decades ago in south india and eastern india we have examples of procurement being done by the most marginalized sections of rural communities by uh, women self help groups for instance village level farm gate procurement where even a single woman farmer from a dalit household is able to uh, sell uh, to the government procurement system and you know that's a reform and that's the kind of reform that people like me would want to see happen in all states for instance So the Arthia system Kavita is referring to is the age-old financing system in Punjab. Arthias are commission agents, in other words, middlemen, who offer farmers credit to buy seeds and fertilizers, and at harvest time they also help farmers unload their produce, clean and sort it, and finally deliver it to buyers for a commission. A survey in 2016 by the Punjabi University showed that the outstanding debt in rural Punjab. was as high as 70000 crore rupees about one fifth of this was from loans extended by the arthia i'll give one more example other than the procurement system we have a uh, direct marketing 
in the form of raitu bazaars in the two telugu speaking states and ulavar santai in uh, tamil nadu for instance where instead of deregulation governments have invested on prime real estate to allow farmers to sell directly to consumers perishable products of fruits and vegetables and it's a great example of convergence of duties and responsibilities across departments so i am saying that we need to then give space after a repeal and after you begin consultation processes to pick up what can be termed as best practices where both farmers and consumers have benefited where some investment from the state was required and see how it can be replicated and thirdly we need you know the so called experts to take a slight back seat because the kind of reforms that we need in india which are uniquely indian reforms for an indian problem which is that we will have millions in the agriculture sector for years and years to uh, uh, come for that we certainly need you know experts who are not thinking only about the agriculture sector but we need experts who are thinking with a livelihoods lens we need agriculture sector to be seen from ground upwards and not from top down and therefore we need another kind of expertise to be brought to the table so i would say there are very many possibilities in terms of heading towards real reforms and getting them incorporated and implemented in a organic manner not in a you know top down i will ram this down your throats man so there is a question in my mind about whether the experts and people who have powerful positions in government have the ability to listen to people on the ground who speak in different voices there are many people who don't have the language of the experts but you have to listen to them too in public policy so siraj you've been a great policy maker in agriculture itself have you experienced the inability or unwillingness of experts to listen to the people my own sense is that the experts you know within the government at the moment you know we don't have very many experts within the government you know in the niti aayog we have dr ramesh chand who i know personally is very much uh, attached to the grassroots he owns a piece of land which he cultivates so he knows how cultivation is done in punjab what kind of labor is used what kind of mechanization has been achieved what kind of seeds and pesticides are used so he does have his ear on the ground and and then in a democracy as i mentioned earlier the politicians you know have much better attachment to the field and they meet you know so many people and so many voices reach them that uh, it is difficult to believe that they are not getting the feedback or they did not have the feedback i really don't subscribe to the view that the experts uh, do not want to listen i think they do know uh, but sometimes um, you know you have been a part of the government so sometimes they feel reluctant to speak out and um, it also depends on what kind of space is given to experts to put forward their views if you know they think that uh, Uh, their views will not be respected or they will be misinterpreted then uh, you know many people would rather like to keep it to themselves so 
the government and the experts within the government, the Niti Aayog and the Ministry of Finance, Department of Economic Affairs, Ministry of Agriculture, ICAR, everybody is attached to the field in some way or the other. They do know what is going on. So it is. it was not a mystery that uh, the APMC system is very well developed in Punjab and Haryana and Madhya Pradesh recently, and not so well developed in Bihar or West Bengal or Kerala. So these things are known. So there is expertise within the government on the issue, knowledge from the grassroots. Coming back to you, Kavita, you use the word expertise in a very interesting way as well. Experts are not only people who have done a PhD, in agriculture science, expertise can take many different shapes in different parts of the country. So the solutions have to be local, like you have been saying. And it is the local stakeholders whose views, whose knowledge of the local system must be built upon and considered. When it comes to policy making, then perhaps the expertise should be the expertise of thinking of systems, of listening very well, of setting up processes by which stakeholders are able to participate, speak up and be heard. So it's different from how we normally think when we talk about experts' expertise. And certainly, the policymaker must be the one who listens the most. What are your thoughts, Kavita? I fully agree with you. It's not just about different kinds of expertise, you know, diversity of experiences and perspectives being captured and incorporated into policymaking. It is also about actual decentralization of where the decision will be taken and where it will get implemented. Even if you include some of these elements in a highly centralized process, I doubt whether it will be effective in the end. So we have got to restart listening more deeply to the concerns of people and not just describe them as obstructionists. Until this trust is restored, it won't be easy to restart a discussion on the whole matter. The question then is, how do we get trust back into the situation? And that's my last question to you, Siraj. My answer is based on my experience with politicians in the IAS. You know, they have this great ability to become friendly with their enemies against whom they have fought very bitterly contested elections. So it is not at all difficult for the politicians to mend fences and with the farmers' unions and become friendly again. If they want, uh, you know, they can very easily do it. There is a wise saying that haste makes more waste. India needs reforms in many matters to make the economy more inclusive and to grow faster too. Agriculture is one of the subjects, land reforms another, and labour and environmental reforms too. So the government is in a hurry to implement many bold reforms which can have far-reaching consequences and affect many stakeholders. However, in its haste, it is inviting more opposition and causing further delay. My conclusion from this very insightful discussion today with my two guests about agriculture reforms is that government must get the process of reforms right if it wants to make the right reforms more quickly. The process must include many points of view, even from the opposition, so that the solution is the right one 
and also so that the solution is supported by all stakeholders and then can be implemented swiftly. Listening to the concerns and suggestions of all stakeholders deeply and not just superficially is good for economic reforms. It is also very good for improving the quality of our democracy. Thank you, Kavita and Saraj, for joining me in this conversation. On the Contrary is produced by Aisha Marfatia, Smarnita Shetty, and me, Rachita Vora, with additional support from Kuber Batla. This episode was hosted by Arun Myra for IDR. Production by Made in India. To learn more about the kinds of ideas featured on this podcast, check us out at idronline.org. If you like our show, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also recommend the show to someone you think will like it. Share it with a friend, colleague, or someone in your family. Or leave a review on Apple Podcasts so more people can find out about us. Thank you for listening and see you next week.